0: It seems like everywhere you look today, we appear divided. Misinformation, disinformation, these campaigns have led people into separate worlds when it comes to the science of vaccine safety. They don't have to close their accounts down, even when the president of the United States says that their inaction
1: is costing lives.
0: And the severity of the human-driven climate crisis.
1: Is there climate change? Yeah. Will it go back like this? I mean, will it change back? Probably. That's what I think.
0: While it would be nice just to ignore all of this and pretend that everyone loves the scientific method and appreciates verifiable facts, we can't really afford to do that. In the US, climate skeptics, so far, have been pretty successful at derailing large-scale efforts to focus on climate policy and push the nation away from fossil fuels. So what's the best way to break through this stalemate? Last season on Heat of the Moment, we talked with Katherine Hayhoe, a climate scientist based in a conservative part of Texas. She sees faith as an important common ground.
1: Beginning that conversation with what we agree on and then connecting the dots to why climate change matters based on the values we already have is the way to move forward with positive, constructive conversations. So the very first time I tried it out, I was pretty nervous. I'd never done this before. I mean, bringing Bible verses into a science
0: presentation, (laughs) I I had no model for that. But I did it, and it
1: totally worked.
0: Heyho's approach may be paying off, there's a small group of conservative politicians who are speaking up about the climate crisis.
1: Congressman Garrett Graves was named to the House's new subcommittee on the climate crisis. The Louisiana lawmaker is the ranking GOP member on the panel.
0: I think very clearly what's at the doorstep
1: is the challenges that we're experiencing in regard to sea rise in some of our coastal communities.
0: To be fair, this isn't enough and it isn't most conservative politicians. Their solutions also vary widely causing some on the left to question their legitimacy.
1: So what's happening here is there are people who have cultural, political, religious, economic philosophies that they then invoke when they want to cherry-pick one scientific result or another.
0: More than 30% of American adults think global warming is a natural phenomenon, according to the Yale Program on Climate Change Communication. And that's despite the fact that scientists have known for decades that we are causing the Earth to warm primarily by burning fossil fuels. What would it take for these holdout skeptics to change their minds? And does it matter if their opinions change? There aren't easy answers to these questions, but to explore them, I asked someone who actually has changed their mind and comes from a place you might not expect, the fossil fuel industry. He worked as a geologist, and he was tasked with keeping oil rigs running off the Louisiana coast.
1: Oh, it's exhilarating, really. I mean, here we are thought we were solving the nation's problems, energy problems anyway. We thought we were being patriotic. We're out there where the rubber meets the road, doing the hard work, finding the damn stuff for <laughs> people <laughs> drive their cars around. And of course, it didn't occur to me that we were warming up the atmosphere and doing a lot of negative things.
0: That story is at the center of today's program. From Foreign Policy and the Climate Investment Funds, you're listening to Heat of the Moment, a podcast about the climate crisis and the people who are working to solve it. I'm John Sutter. Today, we feature the story of a former oil man, Alan Hubbard.
1: Well, when I got my degree, Virginia Tech, the main people hiring geologists were oil companies. It was either going to teaching or some other field, but the 85 percent all of us, went to work for oil companies. Went to start work in New Orleans for about three or four years and moved to Lafayette. Went to work for the oil and gas division of Dow Chemical. I had several jobs in Lafayette.
0: As a geologist, one of Hubbard's main duties was looking at all the available scientific data and trying to figure out where to drill. It was difficult work, but he enjoyed it.
1: I made one nice discovery. Of course, you know, one well in 10 we will find you some oil. One well in maybe a hundred will actually find you a field. And I actually discovered a, a field called Bayou Sherman in Assumption Parish. So uh, it's taken the well logs and seismic uh, geophysical work and put it all together and find a reason to drill a well. And and this one did really well. And we drilled about three others that did not quite as well but it made money it made a lot of money they, and it paid me uh two three thousand dollars a month for several years and uh that was a decent decent living back then it's like forty years ago
0: what did it feel like and look like to be part of that like help, help me see kind of the expansion of the oil industry at that time
1: oh, it was exhilarating really I mean here we uh thought we were solving the nation's problems, energy problems anyway. We thought we were being patriotic. We we're out there where the rubber meets the road, doing the hard work, finding the damn stuff for <laughs> people <laughs> drive their cars around. And, of course, it didn't occur to me that we were warming up the atmosphere and doing a lot of negative things. But it's just the idea that we were finding this oil and gas and, and uh, helping the country economy grow.
0: Tell me more about that idea of it being patriotic. What do you mean by that?
1: Well helping the economy, providing the country with something they really need. Be like being in the army if we providing the uh, defence, finding energy to keep factories going and automobiles and the, the hum, you know, hum of the machinery. We're keeping it going with if we quit, the, the oil supply would quit and then the country would be Third World or something without without all the oil, we wouldn't have the the things we have. And so we maybe patriotic's the wrong word, but we were helping the nation. I we thought.
0: Remind me again how how long you were working in the oil industry, and then and then what made you decide to to give it up?
1: I gave it up when it gave me up in nineteen eighty five. It hit a real slump. A lot of people left. A lot of people in exploration. I came up here and. In North Carolina, did environmental consulting and site assessments, and uh, but heck, you know, the, my manager at one of the companies I worked for, you end up going out to Denver, Colorado, and driving a bakery truck. I mean, selling cars. I mean, mm-hmm. there were all kinds of things. I don't like geology enough to where I'd, but I'd keep my hand in it to some extent, but uh, it was a real come down for for everyone.
0: I mean, one surprising thing about your story is that, I mean, it it sounds almost like you went from being someone who worked in the oil industry at a boom time to being someone who, I I don't know if you'd describe yourself as a climate activist, but something close to that. And I guess I'm wondering like how you reflect on that transition, like what, what contributed to your change of, of heart or change of mind?
1: Yeah. Um, like a lot of things originally they said, well, we're going to, They warm the planet up two degrees the next hundred years. I said, well, hey, price of progress, and uh, I took that rather lightly, but I realized later that's a a hell of a lot. And and they talked about runaway global warming. Al Gore did a lot. He said, if we do this long enough, we're going to have what's known as runaway global warming. It's going to perpetuate itself because there is the, a delay factor.
0: All this time you can see what I have seen all these years. It just keeps going up. It is relentless and now we're beginning to see the impact in the real world.
1: So it's was a 30-year delay factor and we started feeling it and said well if there's a 30-year delay factor in implementing this then we probably have 30 more years of global warming before it's going to level off. And -hmm. when I realized that, I said, we got to put a lid on this. I want my grandchildren growing up in a 110 degree
0: planet. So what caused a shift in your thinking from someone who, you know, like you said, sort of dismissed climate science as like, you know, like this is just the price of progress. Like, okay, it's going to be a little bit warmer to someone who's alarmed by what's happening. Like, what were the moments that contributed to that change?
1: The fact that it's not, it's a lot more than turning up your thermostat. It's much more severe.
0: In the Northeast, freak flooding.
1: Much more moisture in the air, much more crummy weather.
0: Doused with up to 11 inches of rain.
1: Stronger hurricanes, thunderstorms.
0: Meanwhile, out West, historic heat, with the region's largest fire still only 0% contained.
1: And this is not the climate that Homo sapiens was uh, brought up in we evolved in a cooler climate just the end of the last glacial period about 18,000 years ago homo sapiens came along so
0: for um like for you though just in your personal life like when did these facts start like hitting you was it something you saw on the news was it a documentary was it a conversation with a friend like for in your personal life what were the moments that shifted your thinking cuz i imagine that's like a big it's a big leap, right? From like being involved in the fossil fuel industry to thinking like, oh, that, that, you know, that is having this huge negative consequence for the state of the planet.
1: It was Al Gore probably.
0: <laughs> the assumption is something like this. The earth is so big, we can't possibly have any lasting harmful impact on the earth's environment.
1: But Tell me about that. Well, the fact that if nothing's done, it could be runaway, it could just, uh, to be self-perpetuating with, there's no way we can stop it. And he said, "We're if we get the Earth warmed up more than a degree and a half Celsius we can live with, if it's up to over two or two and a half, then we're really pretty screwed, because it's probably just going to keep on warming up. And uh, we're tipping the carbon cycle, so the new carbon cycle will have a lot more carbon than the old carbon cycle will result in and greenhouse gas, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, and uh, just a lot more carbon that we don't need.
0: But the problem is this thin layer of atmosphere is being thickened by all of the global warming pollution that's being put up there. And what that does is it thickens this layer of atmosphere. More of the outgoing infrared is trapped.
1: And that convinced me that, you know, this is something that's going to perpetuate itself for a long time. And I keep thinking, I think my grandchildren, and they don't need to grow up with this kind of mess. they of going to be thinking, looking at us, see our gravestones, and what were they thinking when their temperature's 110 degrees? Look at this summer, for heaven's sake. Hottest July on record, period. I mean, every darn day is, is it. Where we are, anyway, is 90-plus. I mean, we lived in New Orleans for a while. And you can expect this every single summer, two months of heat, maybe three. But in North Carolina, it got a cool snap once in a while. We haven't had one yet. So it's obviously getting warmer. The leaves are coming out earlier, the flowers. Uh, we didn't have, in Lincoln, usually we have about four or five snows a year. And the uh, last two years, we have not had any, not one flake of snow all winter long.
0: Uh, I mean, you mentioned your grandkids. Like, you think about them when you think about these issues about what's happening to the the climate.
1: I do, yeah. It's something they're going to have to handle when their time comes. I don't have any much influence to write poison pen letters and stuff. And I really don't, I'm not in a position to make things happen. I'm not elected uh, or anything. I'm just a citizen. And I write nasty letters to the editor every once in a while, and uh, it's, opinions are changing slowly. I got this uh, editorial I wrote back in 2008. People were still thinking global warming was a hoax. that They're perpetrated by liberals so they can raise your taxes. I mean, that's what that's what people would would be saying i said not true it's it's actually happening people sort of they only tell them what they want to hear you know can't tell them what they don't want to hear
0: so it sounds like you saw an inconvenient truth right like al gore's film and then uh, was it like a gradual shift in your perspective uh, to the point where you're now alarmed about climate change and you know writing letters to the editor and doing things like that to try to make a difference or was it quick was it like a right away you saw this one film and, and everything
1: changed well not only see the film but see it happening they keep saying by the end of the century it's going to be this way or blah 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 and really think about it now hell, we may be extinct okay. by the end of the century the way things are going hmm. <laughs> i mean it's, they speed it up that's usually what happens first slowly and then suddenly I think Hemingway wrote something about that. It creeps in a little bit, and boom. Once it got a toehold, it it takes over. I was getting vaguely aware of it, but uh, Al Gore kind of pushed me a little harder in in this direction.
0: Once you saw that film, was it a pretty quick shift that caused you to rethink the work that you'd been doing in the oil industry, or did it take longer for that to kind of sink in?
1: Well, at first I thought, well... I'm part of the solution because I'm finding oil and then later on after all this I was hey I was, all, I was part of the problem <laughs> I mean instead of being part of the solution I was part of the problem
0: how did that land with you I think I think it's like impressive that you have that ability to <clears throat> reflect on your career I think for a lot of people that might be a pretty hard and like kind of painful thing um, but how was that for you
1: if I didn't do it somebody else would have done it I mean, that was just the prevailing thinking at the time. To me at the time, it seemed like uh, it was something we needed to have. Now it's something we don't need as much. We have alternate renewable energy sources.
0: So thinking about yourself now, I mean, do you consider yourself a climate activist? Yeah. What does that mean to you?
1: It means when you see something that's going to affect our climate in a negative way, you write about it.
0: I can relate to that. (laughs) That's something I do too. And you you said that you write op-eds for the local paper
1: quite a bit? Oh, a couple times a year maybe.
0: What do you say in these op-eds?
1: I have one right here in front of me. I wrote this a few years ago about global warming. Global warming is real. It presents a threat to our continued existence on this planet. Years of scientific research, countless articles, scientific journals, popular magazines, and newspapers, and there are a lot more than a few people out there who can find some research that apparently contradicts global warming over the short term. They'll jump all over it, saying this indicates the whole thing is a monstrous hoax perpetrated by those liberals want to raise our taxes. I wrote this
0: in 08. Do you find that it's easier to have a conversation about the climate crisis now than it was, you know, when you first started thinking about it or, or closer to the time you were working in the oil industry?
1: Yeah, I, I find people receptive, but they're they not. My God, we got to do something about it. I'm going to write my congressman. No, I mean, the second point I rebut People say global warming is happening, all right, but it's part of natural climate cycles, and there's no proof that humans are causing it. Better than I say, better say there's no proof we aren't causing it. What we know is scary enough. What we don't know is even scarier. When
0: you um, you know, think about the fact that you made this pretty, I think, like remarkable transition from someone working in. Oil, to someone who you know considers themselves a, a climate activist um is the work that you're doing now to try to raise awareness about the climate crisis is in some way is that atoning for the work that you did before or how, how do you think about that transition like how do you make sense of it looking back
1: i guess you might say some of it's atoning but i didn't know i was being part of the problem I was being part of the solution if I knew then what I know now I wouldn't be doing it I don't know what I'd be doing because I enjoyed the work
0: what would you want to say to people who either are skeptical about the science of climate change or who just don't think it's that big of a deal um you know as someone who thought that way before and had a, a change of, of of mind a change of heart like what, what would you want to say to them
1: when we all get start thinking it's a it's a really big deal and we have to do something, it may be it's maybe too late. The climate's a long-term thing, and we've been messing with it now for quite a number of years, and we're going to have to pay the piper. But the longer we mess with it, the more costly that's going to become. And there is a chance if we don't do something pretty, pretty soon, it's going to become self perpetuating.
0: That was Alan Hubbard, a former oil worker and now a climate activist living in North Carolina. Our thanks to Yale Climate Connections for helping to put us in touch with Hubbard. Next week on Heat of the Moment, what happens when climate change forces you to move? knowing what I know about reducing our our global emissions, I didn't at the time see things getting better, you know, in terms of wildfires in California. And, you know, like the Midwest has been talked about as a climate refuge and places where the impacts um, may be much less. That's next week on Heat of the Moment. Heat of the Moment is a partnership between foreign policy and the climate investment funds. Our production staff includes Rosie Julin, Rob Sachs, Scott Andrews, Dan Efron, Laura Rosbrow Claudia Tatey, and Zamone Perez. The Climate Investment Funds is a nonpartisan champion of climate action. Political views and opinions expressed in this series do not necessarily represent those of the Climate Investment Funds, foreign policy, or their partners. Thanks for listening.